When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and I'm joined by Daily Mirror royal correspondent. The last time we can say that, really. I know, hello. It's her last day. She's gone out in style, it's fair to say. She has seen Meghan and Harry happily married. Yeah. So, the wedding. It was... It kind of did turn out to be the fairy tale in the end. It hadn't always felt like that was how it was going to be in the week leading up to it. But I think probably, as, certainly as soon as she stepped out of the car with that magical veil, um, obviously I got together with some of the fashion girls on Saturday to really talk about the dress and the details and all of that. But I still love that veil. I'm a bit obsessed by it, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, and then the whole day unfolded from there and there were so many lovely moments the music was incredible the preacher was incredible um, the connection between Harry and Meghan that we all got to see sort of up close in first of all in the um, in the moving footage from the TV coverage but then also in the, the still pictures which really sort of capture those moments yeah I mean I think it's just quite fascinating really because we spent such a long time wondering what this wedding is going to be like and what the elements of the day will be and then to actually see it and have it all have happened now feels quite surreal I think there was a sense in the week running up to the wedding that there was an increasing sense at one point that maybe this wedding would would be tainted maybe it wouldn't be pulled off in the way that they wanted it to because of all the upset over whether or not her father was going to come seemingly very kind of confusing situation where an american website became his official spokesperson and this still seems to be the case yes he's apparently spoken to since the wedding i mean we've never had a situation like that before and the palace did not seem to be able to um, change that scenario. They, you know, they seem very much caught out by it in the first place. And you, know, Megan, clearly very upset that her father couldn't make it. We had this situation where at one point he was coming again, then he wasn't, and then Charles being asked to step in and walk her down the aisle. While there was, from a lot of people, a sense that it was a lovely decision, there was also this feeling of, well, actually, would her mother have been the right choice? Um, and was it all a little bit strange now? Um, and other things as well. I mean, you know, the weather in the, in the last few weeks has been absolutely crazy in this country. We've gone from freezing cold to boiling hot. And, you know, a few weeks ago, you just didn't know what was going to be going on. Yet on the day, it couldn't have been more perfect. And it really did feel as though everything just came together. All and the stars aligned. Really yeah, too. they really did. And there was just this, like, I mean, I went into the church before the wedding. There was no journal. There was one journalist in there during the wedding, but actually, I think initially we were a bit fed up when we found out that that was going to be the case. You know, um, that we weren't going to get to go in. But then when you actually went in to see it beforehand, it it feels very small. It's really interesting how you've got this grand chapel, but it doesn't feel big when you're in there. And 
it's this 500 year old chapel it's you know, gothic architecture but they'd managed to make it feel quite modern in there they had quite utilitarian chairs that were laid out in the nave obviously the choir has fixed seating with the pews but the um it really it did feel like you know a very kind of quite trendy setup in there very unstructured flowers very modern flowers obviously you had those nice floral tributes to diana with the white roses and Megan's favourite peonies and foxgloves are quite a strong smell coming off those flowers in the church and it was a little bit like a bit of outdoors indoors when you were in there. Um, looking at the um, pictures again yesterday because I, I was in the office both days and spending a lot of time looking at pictures that big screen essentially of I think it was two, three arches. Five it was actually but yeah, five yeah, five arches. <laughs> Only the camera couldn't quite capture it, but yeah. also all the way across, but within the church, separating the nave from the choir. Exactly. And then you see the congregation, and actually, they will have seen her walking in with her bridesmaids and page boys, and then she will have gone through that arch, and then most of them will barely have been able to see anything of the actual ceremony. Well, so they, they were watching on screens. So in the nave section, where there was... Um, you know, the, the, her immediate, their immediate family and close friends were right up in the choir. But in the nave section, there wasn't assigned seating. Although I think this, I think I was told guests had kind of zones where they could sit in. But there they was actually, zone. yeah, zone. there was actually a screens up. So they were actually sort of watching it on television as well. And it was also like that in Westminster Abbey for William and Kate. There were several screens they could see the ceremony. But you're right, she would have walked past them and they wouldn't have been able to see once she'd gone past you know, anything but maybe a glimpse of her back and Harry's back. Um, I think for me, what was the standout moment? What was the fact that she confounded everyone with both her dress and her tiara? I mean, those, everyone in the world was speculating about what tiara she would wear, what dress she would wear. And, and you know, to be honest, we couldn't have been further off that, that That's tiara. The one you mentioned? No, it wasn't. Um, Queen, the one we were talking, we were talking about um, Strathmore Rose and Queen Mary, um, Queen Elizabeth's Cartier Bandau tiara. Neither of those oh, were the ones. So because it says Bandau, yeah, exactly. So Queen Mary's Bandau. Now, why that one hadn't featured, I'm not completely sure. I think because it's not one that has been talked about recently and what can often happen in reporting, and this is an example to us all, I think, moving forward, is that it's like an echo chamber. So people come up with a theory and then it gets repeated and then people get stuck on a theme. And I think that's what we all did when we were talking about prospective tiaras and people just didn't look further afield for for those other possibilities. And actually that tiara was very fitting for her. It was exactly the kind of thing that does fit her style. And perhaps if we had looked more at all of the pictures of all the tiaras in the Queen's collection, we may have highlighted it but it just didn't happen for whatever reason it's still it's quite grand though i think it i think that possibly surprised me that it was quite so grand and having the um the centerpiece which is actually brooch which it is who knew tiaras were so clever that you could break them down into multiple different bits you know highly practical clearly but um you know it's so much diamond on it all the way around and then uh, again talking about the pictures there's one incredible one where the light is catching it on the carriage ride I think and just so many colours streaming out of what a really beautiful brilliant diamond. I think that's also linked into the fact that her dress was so plain so she had the ability to go for yeah like you say quite a bling tiara maybe a little bit 
bigger, maybe a little bit more sparkly than we might have thought because we know her style is quite classic, quite streamlined. So I think maybe we were thinking that the tiara would be in keeping with that, but then you have actually such, such a simple dress and very little jewellery. She had on Cartier earrings, but she didn't have a necklace. So actually you can get away with that statement piece in the tiara. But I, I just loved the fact that that dress was... I mean, it makes me laugh because we... I remember Amber and I were talking about this in one podcast a long time ago when we said, I think she will have a very plain dress, no lace. And then for some reason, we all moved away from that theme and we were all into this beaded idea at one point as well, well more recently. Again, it's a bit like the tiara situation, I guess, where there is a very credible report from a very credible source... Or seemingly, I suppose, seemingly, yeah. Who got it very wrong, mm. ultimately. Unless, there she, was so unless she maybe had like three dresses made and decided which one she fancied on the day. But that seems highly unlikely. No, I mean, she definitely was working with Claire White Keller from January and there mm. wasn't anyone else doing a second, you know, another, an alternative dress. But people got very stuck on this Ralph and Russo theme. And of course, you have a situation in this world where no one's going to openly deny it, partly because it's not very helpful for the royals if people start popping up denying it and then suddenly we're narrowing it down yeah. to... <laughs> but also no designer is going to uh, say anything because th that's just the way that they work so the silence was very intriguing and I think because she'd chosen a Ralph and Russo dress for her engagement pictures it seemed very credible and I think there was a sense at one point there, were, there was this theme that maybe she would go for something more beaded more intricate um, but actually what she wanted to do and what I think she did was make quite a kind of grown up sort of she was very much about i am here not to be decorative not to be glamorous that dress was very much about just very simple very pure it was pure white was pure silk there wasn't any embellishments on it at all and you know reining it right back in and, and i'm sort of making that statement that, you know she's here She's here to do a job. The, the wedding was there that was for a purpose. It wasn't about the decoration. And even the veil that had decoration in was linked into a meaningful theme. So the 53 flowers of the Commonwealth plus a flower from Kensington Palace and a flower from California, her home state, the California poppy. I'm obsessed by the veil. Yeah. I, do you think we will at some stage get pictures, more pictures of the trim so we can see these flowers or do you think we're going to have to wait until it pops up in I think we probably will exhibition. have to wait now although the official photographs when they are released may have more detail on the veil but if there hasn't been anything that has been captured over the course of the day so far on the veil then there won't be I'm afraid have to um, get a super zoom out on yeah, the pictures we've already got yeah. I, I, so I just think that dress for me I just love the fact that you know they, 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 did, they got away with it didn't they nobody knew who the designer was um Oh, nobody, certainly nobody openly managed to out the designer, shall we say. There were some journalists who later on said that they had suspected. Um, obviously, obviously. And, 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 and so the other thing that we should say is that um, in our podcast on Saturday when we talked about the dress, so do have a listen to that one as well if you haven't already, um, we talked a bit about what she might wear for the evening dress. And... Um, and we also talked about the rumours that had started circulating on Friday night that Stella McCartney had done the wedding dress, which appeared to be a bit of a leap from a wedding dress designer called Caroline Castellano talking about her being the perfect choice, which 
to me read like a prediction and then somebody had leapt to it as being yeah. actual fact. But then we had the Stella McCartney dress in the evening and yeah. it was another cracker. Yeah. It was on the same theme really. It was about the cut and the simplicity and the little touches which really showed it off and the, the kind of attention to detail with the blue soles in her shoes and the Diana ring which she appears to have been given yeah. as a wedding present. You're very right. I think it was a very two very classic streamlined simple dresses and Stella McCartney another British designer um and clearly two women that Megan really wanted to work with as well and enjoyed working with, I'm sure. Um, and yes, she was wearing, you know, Diana's very large aquamarine ring, which Harry had given to her. We don't know if he's given it to her permanently as a present or if he, if it was loaned to wear. I mean, uh, you know, we would assume that Megan and Kate would be the two women who would wear Diana's jewellery. And um, whether or not Megan is keeping this ring for good, we're not sure. But I think... I think that what Megan's dresses kind of showed was she very much wanted to as soon as she's got she's got she's kind of got a very clear idea of what she wanted she was very much about the kind of um no fuss and I think that's almost what the day was like as well there just wasn't there wasn't a lot of fuss on the day I, I was quite amazed to be honest how she didn't get emotional when she walked down the aisle. I can't believe that she kept her composure because he was very emotional. Harry was quite emotional throughout the service. We always talked about him, though, as being someone who does wear his heart on his sleeve and his emotions, you know, when he's... He is himself. He doesn't hold back um, when, you know, when he's on visits and talking to people and meeting people. He puts a lot of energy and emotion into things. Yeah, and... Yes, and he leads with his heart, which is what Diana was like as well. Um, and I think what's interesting is that when you look at the two of them, there was a sense some some partway part of the ceremony I felt where she seemed so much more grown up than him. You know, she's she she does seem to maybe be more more of more of a leader. And just the fact that she kept her composure when she had had this emotional roller coaster in the week before knowing that her dad wasn't there and meeting Prince Charles, I think I would have absolutely been in bits. But just to be so cool and so calm about it all. And 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 he was he was almost the more um you know, like like it was almost like she was sort of making him feel secure and she was comforting him a little bit throughout the service and I think sometimes so I think it's I think the groom to a certain extent has a hard time because he has a massive unknown. So she knows what she's going to look like. She knows what she's going to wear. She knows how the, the chapel's going to be set up. She knows what her husband-to-be is going to wear. Fine. She doesn't know how she's going to feel walking down the aisle with the eyes of the world on her and all of her you know, friends. Not so much family, her mum being the only family member that was there, but the people that she cares about in the church with her. Whereas Harry has got this waiting. He's waiting there with his brother. His brother's having to try and keep him calm and, and did a lovely job with that and the, the sort of little bits of discussion and memories of Diana or the, the, the lip readers were, were picking up but certainly he was a a good com, you know sort of mm. companion and supporter but you're there and you're waiting and you the woman that you love is about to walk in and you don't know yeah. what she's going to look like you don't you don't know how you're going to feel when you see that and then that moment of seeing her and pulling the veil back and she had such a beautiful 
smile and gazing at him like you know mm. I know get emotional so yeah like it. yeah and I'm sure that what you know he was thinking of his mum and I'm sure that that is what made him feel emotional throughout it and William did say in interviews after his wedding that he had really prepared himself so much in advance for that moment because he knew that that's what he would start thinking about and it would be very difficult and I'm sure that Harry was the same and of course there was a lot so many reminders of Diana throughout the day and when they played him guide me that great redeemer that is you know him that was played at her funeral and music is so emotive anyway and I I would defy anyone not to feel that way and um, but I thought it was interesting she was Megan just seemed so composed so relaxed so cool and her dresses were like that were exactly followed that theme and I think I think also about sometimes if you realize that your other half is struggling or losing it you become more composed yeah to try and try and yeah. support them but um, I mean her mum was there on her own and she she let all of her emotions show like what a beautiful I think there was just so much love for Doria I think the British people and around the world as well she was you know people haven't seen a lot of her because she's not been in front of the cameras I mean she's been photographed by the paparazzi from time to time but we haven't been invited to see her and so we We haven't heard her speak we haven't heard her speak and we haven't seen we still haven't heard her speak but we haven't seen a lot of her so to get sort of such a long look at Doria and to really see up close the uh, the emotion on her face and just think gosh what must she be thinking because here's this her only child who she has raised and obviously um part of the time she was raising her um well, alone is not the right word but um their parents were separated so they weren't in the same house raising as a team you know megan would spend time with both her mother and her father and just she would Dory wouldn't i mean how could anyone know that, that that's what's going to happen you know your daughter's going to marry a prince and <laughs> I imagine there are, you know there might be some british mums who tend to dream that daydream that maybe one day their daughter might go to university and yeah. to prince you've got the sense that Karen middleton was definitely more prepared for it so <laughs> but if you live in america the chances of your daughter crossing paths with a member of the British royal family yeah. and ending up marrying them. I mean, we know very little about Doria's real personality. We know that she's a social worker. We know that she's a yoga teacher, but we don't know whether she's introverted or extroverted. I mean, we may make assumptions that actually maybe she is quite a, a shy person who doesn't like the spotlight. And that was one of the reasons that Megan didn't put her in the position of saying, will you walk me down the aisle? Um, and given how emotional she was, I've, we discuss, I discussed this with Amber on the podcast we did on Friday, kind of the eve of the wedding, when that announcement had been made that Charles was going to be walking her down the aisle. Which initially I was kind of you were not happy initially. Did you feel that you get the wrath of royal Twitter I when you get the wrath of royal Twitter? But I engaged with the wrath, and I'm going to miss the wrath of royal Twitter. And um, the you know she was so emotional, and actually that is. It's better for her that she can just enjoy that moment and experience that emotion and not have to worry about doing the walk as yeah. well. And then Charles, Charles had a really good wedding weekend, I think. I think he did lots of many nice lots of nice things, but apparently when he when he so Megan had come through the nave on her own with the page boys and the bridesmaids, and he was there sort of waiting for her in the choir, offered her his arm and said to her, You look lovely, are you okay? Which like yeah. what what more could you want? I know. I mean, I was told that when Meghan came to terms with the fact that her dad wasn't going to be able to walk her down the aisle, she her thoughts immediately turned to Prince Charles, is what I was told. Um, 
And that's interesting because I would have thought Doria, but but actually I think for Meghan, knowing that Charles is so comfortable in the spotlight, knowing that he's 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 so in his comfort zone in that type of situation, and that would help relax her if she was feeling nervous. And they obviously they seem to actually have quite a close relationship. Um, and I think you know Charles also has Charles has been very very welcoming to Meghan from the beginning, and also to Meghan's mum. I think that Charles and Camilla were very keen to make Doria feel welcome, and you saw that when they came out onto the steps of the chapel. Obviously, Doria was by herself, and Charles made sure that she wasn't just left while they talked to each other. He made sure that she felt involved. It was that lovely picture of he's got Camilla on one arm and Doria on yeah. the other, and you know, so it's been Harry and. Kate and William as a threesome for a long time, and now they're four. Yeah, and now you have this new threesome of Charles and Camilla. But there's no—I mean, there's no question that William and Harry and the whole royal family really is conscious of the fact that in order for a royal bride and wife to thrive, they need to feel embraced by the whole family, and that's something that William has been very keen to do with Kate, and I think they're very conscious of that. Doing that with Meghan, making sure that. They, that there's a unitedness about the two families, and it was interesting that the whole Middleton family were there as well because we had we talked a bit and we thought maybe Pippa wouldn't be there yeah. because they didn't seem to be independently friends, although she had been to his wedding. But the fact that Kate's parents were there as well and her brother, yeah, I thought that was I thought that interesting. was interesting, and it was a little bit unexpected to me, I have to say. Um, but then when you think back, I suppose. Harry and Meghan did go to Pippa's wedding, so it would have maybe seemed a bit rude if she hadn't had some kind of invitation. And maybe it's also a rare opportunity for Doria to meet them. That if anybody has some kind of a sense of what it is like to join this family, maybe yeah. they've yeah. been in a slightly similar position. We don't know if the Middletons went to the evening part of the event, so the party, um, but certainly that's a sign as well, I think, of yeah this, this united family putting on not necessarily putting on a show it makes it sound like it's not genuine but I think yes it's important that the Middletons are embraced by everyone in the royal family um, and of course Harry and Kate have a good relationship they spent you know they live in the same palace before he met Meghan Harry spent loads of time at William and Kate's apartment so he must have seen the Middletons many times in that context as well um, so Yes, and I suppose it's another example. I thought what was so interesting actually about the wedding, when I got to go into the chapel beforehand, we got to see the assigned seating in the choir. So every seat had a name on it. It was all planned out and then we were able to see a plan of that. And that was incredibly telling because it told you exactly who Harry what, and Meghan were close to, basically. All their closest friends were in there. And all the people that we've been speculating they were close with, some of them we got right, some of them we hadn't. I mean, Millie McIntosh, for example, where was she? At one point, I think she was touted as a bridesmaid. She didn't even go. You know, it shows you how wrong the the rumours can be. And then, of course, you've got the ones that we all knew about, Jessica Mulroney and her children, her friend, Lindsay Roth, Benita Litt, Heather Dorak. There was a couple of names there, of friends, her friends from um, school or university that I didn't recognise, not names I'd seen before that were right up front there. I thought what was very interesting with Harry was that you had two of his former nannies who were right up close in with the royal family, shows you the relationship that he's maintained with them. Jessie Webb and Tiggy Leggy Burke, now Tiggy Pettifor and her husband. 
And then, of course, you had all the Spencer family right up close. Not the children, but you had all his aunts and uncles in the choir. The children were further back in the nave. Um, you had so John Major in the choir, really, really prominent position. That um, was surprising to everybody because obviously Theresa May wasn't invited at all as Prime Minister, and he's. You know, he was Prime Minister in the 1990s. Yeah, but what was happened was that he was appointed William and Harry's guardian when Diana died. And so that was a role that he took on. But that was very much a, um, you know, he was a legal executor of her will, I believe. And and that's quite a, a, um, a formal role. And I don't think that Harry would have invited him to sit in such a prominent position, right on the front row, next to all the royal family, just because of some historical position that he had been given it tells you the relationship remained close it tells you that actually he's been involved quite quite personally with their upbringing with their lives and we haven't really seen or been witness to any of that but i that must have happened because otherwise he would not be in that position he may have been invited and put further back in the nave if they felt that they should invite him because of the historical link but he wouldn't have been in that position if there wasn't a genuine close relationship there and it's very interesting and very telling and other people you know we know that the royals are close to the van cutson family and the van strabenzi family there were many members of that family right up close um and yes serena williams oprah there was just a lot and, and with the Suits cast as well. So most of the Suits cast were in the nave. But then there was one actress, Abigail Spencer, who is not sort of one of the main characters, but she features quite significantly in Suits. And she was right up front. And we didn't really know how close Harry and Meghan were. She's clearly Meghan's best friend from the cast because she was the only cast member who was in the choir. That's something we didn't know before. We found out a lot from that seating plan. And um, I think the Sunday Mirror had talked about... The- the congregation was worth at least three billion pounds between the all. Probably. I mean, well, exactly. how well, do you measure this thing? Possibly even more than that. Also, By the time you've got the Reddit founder who's yeah. married to Serena Williams, Serena Williams, the Cloonies, and Oprah. I'm sure. Before you even get to the royal family, then, you know. We should give a mention to Fergie as well, oh, because yes. she's back in the fold and she was there. Now, she was seated in the choir, but she was seated on the opposite side to the royals. She wasn't seated with her children. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't seated with, with Prince Andrew and her children. She was seated right next to the, I think she was next to Earl Spencer and his wife on the other side. And she. It was so she looked so so happy i mean that's the thing about fergie is that for all her uh, ups and downs over the years she she's a she bounces back doesn't she and she you know she doesn't seem to hold any grudges against anything or um, you know she just she just was so excited to be there and she got a great reception as well mm. although apparently camilla also got a good reception and um, one of our reporters because there is always some discussion about how exactly that is and obviously with the memories of Diana so prominent in the daytime but she has been she seems to get on well with Harry and William yeah I feel like over the summer um, Charles and Camilla suffered a blip because people went back over that whole story of you know how their adultery and their affair and you know casting them really as the villains and Diana as the victim in in that whole story Um, but then I I think now I think we generally other than that sort of moment over the summer where that was all resurrected generally I think people the general public separates Diana and Camilla really I don't think people see Camilla and 
think so much of her as the enemy to Diana. It's not, people are able to separate the two now. So you're able to have a situation where Harry's wedding brings up all these memories of Diana and there were so many um, tributes to her, physical tributes at the day. But Camilla, there's not there's not a sense, an obvious sense of Camilla conflicting with that really anymore, I don't feel. And she's taken her role forward and does a lot of, you know, she's a hard-working royal with a lot of good causes of her own and you think that was the yeah. process and literacy. And I always said, I said over the summer, you know, the test will be how, they were polling badly over the summer, she and Charles. And I always said the test will be how they are polling in six months' time. And obviously, we're now nine months on. And I, I, I mean, I haven't got a poll right in front of me now, but just anecdotally from the types of conversations that are being had, people have people have moved on again. You know, we we have now reached a point where she is she is generally accepted, really. And I think she will be queen. And on a more frivolous note, her hat was amazing. And yeah, she Anna Valentine, which was the designer who did her. Um, bridal outfits when she got and a married. Philip Tracy hat and Kate was Roman Queen so obviously her wedding designer yeah. so maybe that was a deliberate oh. plan and yeah. also something that was quite funny um, which didn't happen in Windsor so much but at street parties or Holly Willoughby they put the people putting their own wedding dresses on to yeah. the parties so apparently this <laughs> is horrendous maybe you get a second thing, use why not yeah, so. and we should mention Philip because Philip was there and looking incredible I mean how did he do that, that like he walked yeah. Better than, you know, I mean, I'm a, sure there would have been pensioners, what, you know, older people at the age of about 70, so it took 25 years younger yeah. than Philip, swearing at the telly, saying, how does he do this? He had a complete, um, you know, just a month ago, just over a month ago, he had a hip replacement and he's 90, he's going to be 97 very soon. It's absolutely incredible how he just was walking unaided I mean I thought he would have a stick we talked about this a lot mm-hmm. and I thought wheelchair mm, we were getting the sense that he was up and about but to just I mean the man is unbelievable superhuman and it, I think and uh, stubborn and determined I think as well which has probably helped him in this I think very something possibly. I read saying that he'd been repeatedly practicing walking up and down stairs oh. and you know just if, I guess if you've got something to motivate you to do your physiotherapy and I mean yeah whether the physio is going up <laughs> I've yeah. got my hands on my head at this point and making a stressed face you know worried that he's going to damage himself yeah. so determined to get ready for yeah him. but um so they had the the marvellous ceremony. They had the carriage ride. Those steps were brilliant as well at St George's Chapel. Like what a sort of a frame for the, the veil and the dress and the waving and the, the kiss and all yeah. of those lovely Yeah, it was notes. so pretty, the flowers that were down outside the church. And it's a really... It, it, I mean, I think the weather massively helped as well just because the whole place was just lit up, wasn't it? And so everything just had this kind of glow to it really and the the people outside on the grass were all people from charities and it's just this really warm sense of goodwill I think when they came out and then yes as you say they went on their carriage procession and everyone was going wild and then they disappeared they disappeared to have their party or the yeah. first part of their party yeah so there was the afternoon reception which was hosted by the Queen the afternoon reception in St George's Hall was was 600 people, so all the chapel guests and hosted by the Queen. And we know quite a lot about what happened at that reception because we were given details of the canapes and the bowl food. So because St George's Hall is a big hall, it's the largest room in the chapel, in, in the 
in Windsor Castle, sorry, but it holds 160 for a state banquet. So it's nowhere near 600. So they, they could never have sat down in that hall. So it was, we probably should have realized that really beforehand, but they, they had canapes, they had bowl food, trendy bowl food. You get a bowl and a fork and you stand up and eat it. Um, we were given details. I mean, you know, I could reel off menus, stupendous, beautiful ingredients, um, lots and lots of lists of lovely fresh ingredients in these canapes, sweet and savory, champagne, wine, elderflower cordial was served to go with the elderflower and lemon cake that was served. And Which it was also looked incredible when yeah. the pictures of that were released. And it was that kind of um, rough finish. Mm. Sort of, and um, she'd gone for that very sort of the installation thing where it was put into goblets. And, you know, it was quite interesting. It was divided into three parts, the cake. Um, and so you had the afternoon reception and in the afternoon reception that Kensington Palace actually made an error because they put out a statement giving us a little bit of information telling us that Meghan, the new Duchess of Sussex, um, and Charles and Harry were going to speak at the afternoon reception. So we were all, you know, great, she's definitely doing a speech, you know, we, we'd suspected that she would. And then they had to put out a correction not long later, a couple of hours later, saying that we made an error and actually she was never due to speak at the afternoon reception. She was always going to speak at the evening reception. So it was just Charles and Harry. And what was interesting was that I'm not sure they actually intended to tell us that she was going to speak at the evening reception because they didn't want to give any information out about the evening reception. But then they kind of had to because they told us already. So because um, otherwise it becomes Megan's going to do a speech. No, and she's then, not. And then she doesn't do one. And it's yeah. Like she called. Yeah. So they had. So they had to clarify. So we got that extra bit of information about the evening reception that we would not have got. Um, and but Charles speech there was quite a few guests who came out obviously 200 guests went on to the evening and then obviously there was 400 who didn't and a lot of them were people who were affiliated with charities or you know heads of charities the couple worked with people who they know but they're not in their super super close circle and a lot of these people were quite chatty about what had happened in the reception and you know were telling people that they had heard Charles's speech and Charles we understand spoke very warmly of Harry, made some jokes about bringing him up, changing his nappies, um, and just saying how happy he was for him and how well he turned out. And we know that Charles is very comfortable giving speeches and he's quite, um, you know, he's quite understated in the way that he delivers them. He's very confident in the limelight. He's quite happy making jokes. Um, and then Harry made a speech and we know that Harry said to Meghan, we make a great team. He also told her that she handled everything with such grace. Um, and he kept saying, when guests told how he said several times, I just can't believe this beautiful woman is my wife. And I and mean, he also made the brilliant joke that every husband does, even, uh, if, they don't, even <laughs> if they don't realize that they're doing yeah. it. Was, someone said that he was a bit confused when everybody started cheering and laughing every time he said, my wife, my, my wife, wife and I. I. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if, if you are, if you are planning a wedding speech, then it's always a good place to start. My wife yeah. and I. Yeah. And then you've got to cheer before you leave. Yeah. So there was two really nice speeches. We were told that they didn't, Diana wasn't mentioned in the speeches. Um, I think, you know, um, she was clearly very much a part of the day and perhaps it might have been quite difficult for Harry to have spoken about her publicly um, and maybe slightly uncomfortable for Charles to do so. So it's possibly why that didn't happen. But yeah, I think so. So and a bit of a party as well though, because Elton John... Yes, of course, I piano. forgot to say that. So, that. so apparently Harry, at the end of his speech, said, can anyone play the piano? And <laughs> no one knew that Elton John was lined up to play. And then suddenly he just started playing and apparently he played your song 
Paddy Dancer, maybe played played four songs. They're saying, so that was really fun. And I think some of the I know some people who were guests in the afternoon reception who you said it was quite a surreal experience, really, because um, some of those people were not people who would regularly hang out in royal settings or with the royals. So that's brilliant. But then, of course, the evening, which they didn't want to tell us anything about, was you know the, the party and and the celebration from Wales. Little bits of information come out. It's very difficult to separate um, fact from speculation in these types of scenarios. And because there's no information, you know, as we've discussed, you know, speculation can just somehow sometimes take over a bit. And it's, if it's not corrected, then it just ends up becoming, you know, almost what people, you know, fact, I suppose, when it, we don't really know exactly. But we, we know, we know, we know a fair few things. We know Megan did a speech. Um, a colleague of ours had some great information about her saying, I finally found my prince. We know that George Clooney was very active on the dance floor. Excellent. Well yeah. Done, George. <laughs> um, and there was 80s and 90s hits, um, including their first dance, which is Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Megan has previously described that song as her happy song. I think that's the thing about the day was that there, it was a very, very uplifting sort of sense to the day. Um, and Meghan and Harry, they just seem very, very in love. And I think if anyone had any concerns or doubts about the fact that they'd only been together for a very short space of time before they announced their engagement, the fact that this is, you know, a huge change for her, I feel like they really have been dispelled by just the way that she conducted herself at the wedding and all the choices that she made, I just think really point us in a really good direction for her. I think that she, I think for me, I feel like the dress symbolizes it all. It was just so kind of, it was so conservative and it was so set the message of, you know, I mean, I mean business, I'm here for the, the substance. That's what I felt was her message for the day. It's, there are there were so many lovely moments, and Harry Harry's a big old romantic, really, isn't he? He's going and picking the flowers for her bouquet, and yeah, really personal moments, really like a lot of little things that they did that were made the day kind of special and personal. We got a glimpse of the evening programme as well, which Nacho Figueras posted on social media, then very swiftly deleted. Polo player. player. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the interesting thing, actually, about this wedding, which we didn't have with William and Kate, is, of course, you know, we've got a lot of people who are very active on social media, very close to the royals now. And, you know, they, they sometimes they just don't think I shouldn't be posting this picture that might have something in the background or might be of something that people actually haven't seen and I'm not realising I'm exposing something that's supposed to be a secret they're probably just quite and and we didn't have that with women Kate social media was not so prolific seven years Mm. ago but who who would deny the fact that it is joyful to see Serena Williams grooming her husband's eyebrows (laughs) in the video so you did have this kind of balance that it was okay to be posting pictures of your preparations in the hotel and yourself yourself, but but nothing connected to them yeah well guests had their phones taken off them for the actual wedding and for the reception Um, so I'm assuming that the late night guests did as well although I think perhaps because they're more in the circle maybe they didn't quite need to do that but so what do we know about the evening, evening? well those things I told you oh, that's yeah, yeah so. Names, so this, 
uh, talk that some people then went on to an after after party at Chilton Firehouse in London. After yeah, Idris Elba, had, Idris Elba had been hitting the decks potentially. Yes, and, that and was another thing. Yeah, House. there was we. Um, Meghan and Harry didn't stay at Windsor Castle last night, so Sunday night, and they didn't stay at Kensington Palace either. So there's a bit of a gap there. Where did they stay? Now, Harry's a lot of Harry's friends stayed at Coward Park, which is where he stayed the night before the wedding. Now, Meghan obviously stayed somewhere else, but there's a strong possibility that they actually went back for an extra party at Coward Park, and it was still all booked out by the royals and their friends. And then we're expecting Harry and Meghan to make their way back to Kensington Palace at some point today and resume, you know normal life although they've got a working engagement tomorrow they're going to a garden party at Buckingham Palace I won't be covering it I won't be here <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then they will eventually go on honeymoon and I'm sure I don't know will someone figure out where they've gone there's been lots of things over the in the run up this wedding that people haven't figured out so where did Harry go on his stag do Mike Tyndall told us that he wasn't invited so Maybe they just like to confound us. Maybe they're just going to wait. Of course they love to confound us. See what appears in the papers and then do the exact opposite. Um, Mm. There's been talk of a one-night mini honeymoon to Ireland today as well. Well, I'm confused about that because I think that might be an official visit to Dublin. Mm. That's been speculated. Ah, well, Ireland would be interesting, right? And it would probably be a one-night, two-day visit. Um, it talks about kind of the loving looks between them and things. The, people have noticed that they did look particularly um, loved up when the, the classic bit of the uh, service is about the marriage being the foundation of raising children and that kind of thing. I mean, there's a no doubt they want kids, definitely. I mean, Harry's made no secret of it. He's spoken about it lots and lots. And Meghan wants children as well. And, you know, the, she's 36, now 37, and I hate when people, as a woman in my 30s, I hate when people have that sort of make those comments about, oh, you know, you've got to get on with it if you want it. But I suppose there is there is an element of practicality there where you probably is, probably is true. And, you know, I think, I suppose, I, I can't see any reason why they would wait now because they're so in love. They want to start a family. They're completely committed to each other. They're married. I, I, and their job is, as royals is basically to support good causes, do what the Queen asks of them and probably have some babies yeah I mean I think it's less far less vital for them obviously because William and Kate have got three now and you know as George has children as Charlotte has children as Louis has children Harry will be so far down the pecking order and his children even further so it's not and we're talking about a more streamlined royal family eventually in the future where when George is king Harry may not have an official role at all you know so I think you've, you've got this situation where um there's not, there's not, it's not vital that he has kids for the future of the monarchy or anything like that, but I, I just don't see why they would wait. I just don't see why they would. And in terms of work, what what is next for them? So we're expecting to see them be quite busy. We're expecting to see, particularly because Kate is doing a little bit less at the moment. William is starting to, as the future kings, the queen is doing less, starting to maybe step in a little bit more for those um engagements that are more you know investitures or he's having more behind the scenes meetings about you know eventually he will take over the duchy of cornwall so a bit more businessy yeah a bit, a bit, out a bit more head of statey and a bit less charity so so you've got harry and Meghan really who are hugely popular harry's just got this new role as a commonwealth youth ambassador and we're expecting to see him do a lot 
um, of travel around the Commonwealth. Now, obviously, if they do have children, that may have to be reined in a little bit, particularly for Meghan, perhaps. But initially, I think we're expecting a big trip to Australia and New Zealand and possibly other countries nearby in not September, October time. We are also expecting them to do um, some smaller trips beforehand. Dublin has been suggested as a possibility. We've still got you know, the Brexit theme, haven't we? The young royals are still flying the flag for Britain as we prepare to exit the EU. So there's the potential that they could have to start taking up some of that, maybe make trips to some EU countries. Um, I think they'll want to do an official visit to Africa fairly soon because Prince Harry obviously has charity centre Bale there that was set up in memory of his late mother, which Meghan has never visited. So I think they'll want to do an official visit there. It's recently expanded into Botswana. It's always was founded in Lesotho. And I think he'll be very keen to show her the work of that charity. And he hasn't done an overseas visit for them for a while now. And so I've definitely put one of those on the cards. I think it's probably even Kate had never been to... Africa on official business, yeah. No, they haven't. And it tends to be, I think Charles and Camilla tend to, tend to do the Africa trips at the moment. Is that I'm right? trying to think who last went. I can't think, to be honest, off the top of my head. But um, I it, think... It, it seems like there is an opening for think... Harry and Meghan to make... Yeah. Yeah. Africa a focus for them. Yeah. Um, and I think generally common, you know, the Commonwealth countries, the 53 Commonwealth countries, but also remember particularly the Commonwealth realms because they are the countries where the Queen is head of state. So, you know, they will be in Canada at some point. Of course, Australia and New Zealand fall into that category as well. Caribbean, countries in the Caribbean where the Queen's head of state still. A lot of them have... And Harry's had a couple of good trips there already. Yeah. Always, he seems to enjoy it there. Yeah. So I think that's that's what's coming up. Meghan will eventually start to take on her own charities. I don't think she's going to be in a massive rush to take on loads of patronage straight away. I always did find it intriguing how she decided not to continue the work with the charity she'd been working with. Although interestingly, they do feature very prominently in her new page on the Royal Family's mm-hmm. website. There's a lot of talk about her work with UN Women, talk about her work with um, the... Uh, um, the charity in India that helps women who receive stigma because of menstruation. Um, and she she wants to continue those themes. I think she wants to continue empowering women as a theme, young people as a theme. Um, and I think we will see her eventually do that. And it is interesting, it was a, a bit of commentary about the Duchess of Sussex page on the Royal Family website. I it's, think I started it's, this. It's very much, it's focused on the charities and the, and the acting part of her life is sort of um, consigned well, to the nave rather than in the choir. Yes, yeah. so I think I might have started this. So I tweeted yesterday when I saw the page that you go into the Duchess of Sussex, Sussexes, it's a tongue twister, um, that page on the Royal website. And there's quite a long thing to read and her acting career is not mentioned other than to say while filming in Toronto she volunteered in a soup kitchen I think is what it goes on to say and I just thought come on guys you know she she spent 15 years grafting her way in a massively competitive industry she had relatively huge success compared to where most actors and actresses get to and it just felt like why not highlight that more you know why it, it, it's it it begs the question you know is it something they feel is is isn't as suitable to highlight and why not but i suppose you know the royal family is all about charity and that is what 
they obviously wanted to put in the most prominent page and I posted this on social media and then you know got a lot of people saying yes I agree and then someone else going it's on the biography section which it is so there is another page if you click through to her biography section her acting career does get a bit more of a mention so I think you've got to provide that that balance yes it's not airbrushed effectively but it isn't on the main page and she did it's spend that easy to find i've been no. looking for it after you said that actually yeah it was there, and yeah. i still she did she did spend it. a lot of uh, there's a yeah considering how much of her life that was it seems disproportionately sidelined mm. but then i suppose what people might say is the charity work is more relevant to what she's doing moving forward and so that's why, because even though her acting was a huge part of her life, it, it, it's not what she's going to be doing now. So I suppose you could say you can make that argument. Do you think there's any likelihood that her mum might move over to Britain to I, be with her? I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens with her mum and also her father and her half siblings. Because remember, you know, this the, the narrative, the interest is not going to go away now that they're married. It's not just like right, all of the excitement was the build-up and now suddenly, you know, their lives will never go back to normal, really. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward with her dad. When, when will she see him? on his phone to say, will you please stop talking to TMZ? Yeah, I mean, when's she going to see him next? I think people would like to know, is she going to fly over to see him? We don't really know how much she has seen him in the last couple of years and there's still that very odd scenario where Harry has not met him. Um, and now they're married and then of course her mum can her mum just go back to normal life very possibly I mean the Middletons did to a certain extent they carried on their business they carried on you know and these people are not they're not people who are being supported by the system so the the taxpayer is not is not paying for Doria so she has to carry on working and I mean I'm sure you know Meghan and Harry can pay for if they want to do blah 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 but it, it, what what happens now, I think, is, is going to be tricky for them because she'll want to go back to having as normal life as possible, but is that really possible? And, and probably... I mean, remember, Doria has lived in LA and Megan has been in Toronto, so it's not like they've been used to being living to, next to each other for years. And so perhaps she... you know, Would you want to move your whole life over to mm. London? Would she want to do that? Maybe if she has grandchildren. Who knows? Yeah. Grandchildren, <laughs> mm. always a game-changer. So... Certainly spend more time here, perhaps. And, of course she's not going to be having money problems of getting over here or you know space where to stay you know it'd be mm. very easy for her to spend five or six months of a year in the UK and then the rest in LA mm. so that was the royal wedding I think we're still waiting to see um so we're waiting to see the official photos released. yes which we're hoping can release later on today and we we will see the newlyweds the well, we hope we're going tomorrow. to see them today, maybe arriving back at Kensington Palace, but it won't be very good pictures. It'll probably just be snatched pictures. But, but tomorrow um, they are um, partying again. Yeah, so tomorrow they're going to be at a garden party for Prince Charles's 70th birthday. I think that would be lovely. It'd be nice to see them again. I think it. I, I think it's nice to uh, for them to kind of re- um, recognise that there's such huge interest and actually to kind of give a couple of appearances before they go on honeymoon actually is quite good for helping everyone to get a bit more kind of satisfy their interest and let things settle a bit more before they go away it's quite funny it's quite remarkable really you know in this country that she is now just the Duchess of Sussex and it it 
and we have this system where that that is the case and one day she's Meghan Markle the next day she's the Duchess of Sussex and you know yeah and what she thought when she woke up on Sunday morning it's just like Oh, yeah. surreal. So as they begin their new married life, you're going to be off to begin your new working life. I know. I mean, what a way to go out. It does. It has felt at times in the last couple of weeks, you know, quite overwhelming because I should really be, you know, casually clearing up my desk, having lunch with the people. And it's been incredibly frantic, incredibly busy. Um, and at times, you know, very... Uh, quite quite stressful quite long hours you know quite um demanding you know there's a lot going on with this wedding and there was a lot of excitement and that Um, was before it all took a bit of a funny turn well before it all happened yeah i mean the the events of the last week just the backwards and forwards over thomas markle is he going is he not going that really i think took any extra ounce of energy that anyone might have had away and we were just on a bit of a roller coaster until it actually got to the wedding day and yeah, this morning, I have to say, it did not feel like a Monday. I, I was completely confused as to what day it was because I'd had such a, a long stint of solid working across the weekend. Um, but, you know, I am so, I feel so honoured, I suppose is the right word, to have been able to have a ringside seat for that wedding and to be able to be part of it. And like all of the things I've done in my time as the Royal Correspondent, um, you know, you, you, it's amazing because you get a ringside seat at moments that are huge historical moments in our country and things that are recognised and there's huge interest around the world and you know you get to be right there and it is an incredible job for that reason so to go out having done that wedding and experience that was I think very fitting. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We have been planning to do like a a life and times of Victoria Murphy and her I life feel like that's too sad because it really seems like I, I feel like I'm I'm trying to kind of um, you know I will be carrying on maybe a little bit of commentary even when I start my new role which is not related to covering the royals but um, I feel like I can't quite tell myself that there's just a complete cut off it won't be I'm still going to keep on looking at what the royals are doing over one shoulder probably for the rest of my life because I think when you've done a job like this for as long as I have and I think what people don't realize about this job is that you don't really switch it off and on you know you carry with you all the time when you're on days off when you're on annual leave in the evenings you can never really put it down because stuff happens at any time anything can happen and you're always very aware of that and I think just to kind of let it go a little bit will be very strange. Mm. Well, when you've, when you've had a bit of a break and a decompression, mm. give us a ring, come back and we'll do a lunch podcast. Yeah. We can do an in-conversation. There's, there's one that, um, there's a politics one that I've listened to occasionally where you can hear the nice clink of knife and fork wow. as they chat away. Sounds very good, yeah. And we can have a, a possibly with a glass of fizz. And, and I, have so, I, have, I have so enjoyed this podcast. It, it's been such a lovely thing to do because it's really given me the opportunity to talk about so many things that are interesting and intriguing and to explore them at length in a way that you don't get the chance to do in news stories a lot of the time or even in you know I do a lot of television commentary but they're looking for you know sound bites on the newsiest thing whereas the podcast is such a lovely opportunity to really explore behind the scenes to really go into more detail to give varying opinions on things 
And, you know, just little things like what I was saying earlier about the press release going out and then being corrected and all these things that probably, hopefully, people find interesting. But... I found it interesting. Yeah. I found it really interesting. I've loved doing it with you. I have, and, yeah. And we've loved having all of the feedback from the listeners. Don't worry, the podcast is not going away. No. Um, there will be other people who will be joining me. I'm probably going to get our photographers back again to find out how they found about the day. I think our showbiz team can probably talk to us a bit about the uh, the showbiz yeah. uh, pals of the uh, Duke and Duchess of Sussex and that, that aspect of the wedding and the show this side but if there are other people that you think we should try to get on we i i yeah. should try to get on um and obviously the fashion crew are still around so we're always plenty to talk about with that so it won't be long before we're back again but um join me in wishing victoria all the very best so emotional job. um she'll still be on twitter are you going to stay at queen vic well you can't be at queen vic mirror anymore i guess but you can well i'm not queen vic available a good question I don't know I need to this is what I need to do next week is is sort out things like that but I still I know that I will still keep my 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 profile will still be in the same place and everyone who is following me will still be able to follow me so I know that now, for certain yeah. <laughs> and I will, I'll let you know what her new handle is when I find out as well but thank you for listening this week and in the, all the run-up to the wedding it's been really exciting sharing it with you and what a brilliant day it turned out to be. Um, do subscribe, do leave us a review, all of that usual stuff if you can. But until next time... God save the Queen!